history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 91st episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And my throat is still on the mend, so we might have little cracks and gruffness here, but I'm hoping that it's not as bad as the last round. It was bad, so you you think it's bad when your sexy voice goes away? <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, we are going to be bringing you Charles Dickens and his most famous novel, A Christmas Carol. We figured that would be perfect during this week that we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And this was actually suggested to us by our research assistant, Jessie Harms, and she actually did most of the research on the Charles Dickens history. She most certainly did. Now, we were unable to find anywhere that he seems to haunt, but obviously he had some kind of acquaintance with ghosts because not only did he like to write ghost stories, but he used them very well in his novel, A Christmas Carol. So we're going to explore some of the theming there, the ghosts, and the different ways that they compare to some of our modern day experiences when it comes to hauntings. Before we do that, we want you to check out our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people would like to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We have some people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. We want to welcome Sadie. Hey, Sadie. Constance. Hi, Constance. Danielle. Hey, Danielle. Vicki. Hey, Vicki. And that's with an I. Vicky with an I. Marshall. Hey, Marshall. Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Sue. Hey, Sue. Hey, Sue. <laughs> Sounds like Jesus. Sue, I apologize. (laughs) Hi, Sue. Mandy. And hi, Mandy. And Jason. Hey, Jason. Denise, I wanted to share with the listener something that uh, our listener Jill had shared with us over on the fan page. And it's in reference to the sheep farts on the airplane. You remember that oddity we did? Yes, I absolutely remember that wonderful oddity. Well, Jill wrote, I finally have a second to comment on your moment oddity about sheep setting off the fire alarm in the cargo hold. Sheep are part of the bovine species. They have two stomachs like a cow and just one produces enough methane gas to clear a large house. Below are my two pet sheep, and she posted pictures of her pet sheep there. Baby and his sister, Maheya, I think is how you say it. Their dad lives here, but he is a naughty ram, so I didn't include him. His name is Francisco. Poncho for short. How is Poncho short for Francisco? Poncho Francisco. And she also has a picture of her dog here. Is a 13-year-old yellow lab named Rebel. He's afraid of birds and water, but that's an entirely different story. He can clear a room with silent exhaust. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Jill. We appreciate that. And we also got some more reviews over at iTunes. Robin Gospel Hymns gave us five stars. I normally don't write reviews, but when I heard you guys read out a review today, I thought if that person can take the time to be nasty, I can take the time to show my appreciation. I love your show, and I can tell you put a lot of hard work into it. It's full of interesting facts and information that I've never heard of before. Keep up the good work. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Maddie Pat, five stars. I've been listening from the beginning of this podcast and love hearing how it's growing. Keep up with reading comments. I like to know others' opinions on something that I have grown so fond of. 
I have indignation for you when someone isn't in our same bubble. Has come into the light with us. <laughs> come into our bubble. Come into our orb. <laughs> <laughs> and nod my head with other like-minded ghoulsters. I love that word, ghoulsters. Have a Merry Christmas from Connecticut. I wish you many more episodes and health for the new year, Melissa. Thank you so much, Melissa. We appreciate that. Yes, thank you, Melissa. Now I have visions of like all of our spectacular crew and all of our, our people and our fans like floating bubble. around in a big bubble. <laughs> <laughs> the Chicks, 914, five star. Thank you, Diana Denise, for such a fantastic podcast. I've been listening ever since the Bizarre States recommendation. I love learning the history behind all those fascinating paranormal locations. Your podcast has quickly become one of my favorites. I was also happy to learn that Denise is a fellow Disney cast member. A fellow Disney cast member? Fantastic. I've been a graphic designer for Disney since 2008. It's not often I find podcasters that live in the same city as me. Small world indeed. Keep up the great work, Kaylee. Okay, so Kaylee, I want to invite you along the next time we head up to St. Augustine. It's not that far. No kidding. And we should do a meetup at the parks. We you know, could they go to that really of, creepy there house. Is, there is a haunted over house Over near Liberty there. Square. I've heard it's one of the most haunted houses in America. I bet it is. It's got 999 ghosts. It's got to be the most haunted. I would think so. And then, Denise, we got another five-star review from the United Kingdom. Yay, UK. And by the way, we might be heading to the UK sooner rather than later, probably within the next couple years. So we don't know how much touring we'll get to do, but we might be doing some traveling over towards that direction. And that's because Denise has been named the ambassador to Ireland for the United States Taekwondo Federation. Yes, I have. Just Actually, I think the announcement came out today. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. Lebowski 74, five stars. I found this podcast from Jim Moon at Hypnagoria and thought I'd give it a try. Well, we love Jim here and his show for sure. And if you guys want to get the definitive on the history of Santa, he has been doing it all this last week. I think he's up to part three and they're like over an hour long, an hour and a half. So make sure you check those out if you want to get a thorough history on St. Nicholas and all of the history behind behind Santa Claus. Denise and Diane are good hosts and the chat flows well. I guess that helps with them being married. Well, some people who are married don't communicate very well. <laughs> the intros are a little long sometimes, but that's no big deal. Interesting, informative, and well-rounded. The History Goes Bump podcast gives great scope for talk about historic haunted locations. Just hearing about abandoned sanitarium makes me want to go and take a look for myself. Well, thank you, Lebowski. And we do have another haunted asylum coming up at the end of the month. Yes, we do. Had a very interesting interview last <laughs> evening. Denise, are you ready to explore the life of Charles Dickens and his wonderful work, A Christmas Carol? I am. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. Marjorie McCall was an Irish woman who died from fever in 1705. As was the custom of the time, she was buried quickly to prevent the spread of the fever that had killed her. Marjorie wore a very expensive ring on her finger, and due to swelling, it was not removed, so she was buried with the ring. Grave robbers heard about the story and decided to unearth her and steal the ring. The evening after she was buried, a couple of grave robbers disinterred Marjorie. 
They had trouble getting the ring off, so they decided it would be best to just cut off the finger that held the ring. Imagine their shock when Marjorie let out a shriek of pain. We imagine they might have dropped dead on the spot from fear. Marjorie climbed out of her coffin, quite disoriented and bleeding from her hand. She went home. Her husband opened the door when he heard the familiar knock and discovered his wife standing there in her burial clothes with blood dripping from her hand. He dropped dead from the shock. He was buried in the very grave that Marjorie had just vacated. Marjorie eventually remarried and had more children. She lived a long life, and when she did eventually die, she was buried in the same cemetery where she'd been buried in the past. Her tombstone reads, quote, Lived once, buried twice, end quote. Now that certainly is odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? This Day in History This Day in History was given to us by Jessica Bell. On this day, December 23rd in 1823, a poem titled A Visit from St. Nicholas was first published anonymously in the Troy, New York Sentinel. The poem begins with the first line, "'Twas the night before Christmas," and that is how it is most commonly known. The poem made its way into publication in the Sentinel via a friend of the author, Clement Clark Moore. Moore was a professor who had originally written the verse for his children, but did not want to acknowledge writing the poem, thinking it would make him look less scholarly. Moore himself acknowledged authorship later when he included it in his own book of poems in 1844, at the insistence of his children. The poem is credited with birthing some of the conceptions of Santa Claus from the mid-19th century to today. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mom and her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eye should appear? But a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves set before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As he drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. 
He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. And I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Happy Christmas Christmas to all, and to all a good night. The History Goes Bump Podcast. Denise, this is one of my favorite things to watch either on TV or we've actually seen it in the theater. And it's just, it's a marvelous play. I have to say, I think one of my favorites is Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol. Oh, Mickey Mouse's, or what about The Muppet? The Muppets is pretty good too, but, but Mickey, Mickey Mouse, beats yeah. them all the time, yeah. Absolutely. We have their little figurines up in our dining room right now. Yeah. Charles Dickens is the author of many classical novels, but probably his most beloved work is A Christmas Carol. Christmas would not be Christmas without the tale it would seem in our modern era. Many of us probably never questioned as children why it was that ghosts were sent to teach the angry and obtuse Scrooge the lessons of life he must learn. But why did Dickens choose ghosts? Did the idea of telling scary ghost stories originate with him? Join us as we explore the life of Charles Dickens and dive into his beloved classic, A Christmas Carol, which is obviously quite haunted. On February 7, 1812, Charles John Huffam Dickens was born to John Dickens and Elizabeth Barrow in Portsmouth, England. Dickens was the second of eight children. John Dickens was a naval clerk and Elizabeth Barrow had aspired to be a teacher and school director. Dickens' parents tried to make sure the family had everything they needed. However, the family was considered poor at best. In 1816, the family relocated to Chatham, and in 1822, the family moved to Camden. At this point, the family's financial situation was dire, and in 1824, Dickens' father went to debtor's prison. Dickens was just 12 years old at the time. With his father in prison, Dickens dropped out of school and got a job at a boot-blacking factory on the River Thames to help support his family. He earned a wage of six shillings a week. Later in his life, Dickens saw the moment he had to drop out of school to get a job as the moment he lost his youthful innocence. It still amazes me they put people in prison for being in debt. I know, it's horrible. Dickens later admitted to feeling betrayed and abandoned by the adults who should have been taking care of him. Looking at the themes of his work, one can see reoccurrences of these themes. Dickens was able to go back to school once his father received an inheritance to pay off the debts. Dickens dropped out of school again when he was 15 years old to help with the family income. So apparently his dad spent that inheritance and they were back in the poorhouse again. I would think so. Probably, well, people who don't change the way they do things do lose the money they get. That's been proven. This next job was considered the launching point of his literary career. He was working as an office boy. Within a year, Dickens was doing freelance work to report on the courts in London And a few years later, he was doing work for two major newspapers in London. In 1836, under the pseudonym Boz, Dickens began submitting sketches to magazines and newspapers in London. In 1833, the sketches and clippings from the newspapers were published in Dickens' first book called Sketches by Boz. With all of this success, it caught the eye of Catherine Hogarth, and they were married soon after. Dickens and Hogarth had a brood of ten children, but unfortunately they were separated in 1858. 
Around the time that Sketches by Boz was published, Oliver Twist was published also. Dickens was inspired to write Oliver Twist because of the life he had lived as a child. The book was received well in both England and America. On December 19, 1843, A Christmas Carol was published. It has remained popular and has been adapted into movies, operas, and musicals over the years. While the phrase Merry Christmas was not new, it was made popular with it having been used in the novella. The novella also introduced the usage of the phrases Scrooge and Bah Humbug. Dickens was fighting with his publisher, so he financed the publishing of the book and ordered gilt edging, lavish binding, and hand-colored illustrations. Despite these expensive upgrades, he priced the book at five shillings so that everyone could afford it. Profits were low, but sales were high. 6,000 copies were sold in its first few days of release. In 1842, Dickens embarked on his first tour of the United States. At first, it seemed that Dickens enjoyed the fame, but eventually he began to resent the invasion of his privacy. From 1849 to 1850, Dickens worked on David Copperfield. David Copperfield is not one of Dickens' most well-liked novels. However, it is one of Dickens' favorite novels. David Copperfield was the first novel of its kind and featured a main character that has followed through his daily life. In 1865, Dickens was in a train accident that he never fully recovered from. Despite this fact, Dickens still continued to tour the countryside until 1870. On June 9, 1870, at Gill's Head Place, Charles Dickens suffered a stroke and died at age 58. This was at his country home in Kent, England. Dickens is buried at Poets Corner at Westminster Abbey. At the time of his death, his last novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, was left unfinished. There are no stories of Charles Dickens' spirit-making appearances. He has been used as an inspiration behind ghost tours in Boston around the holiday season, and it would make sense to use the author in his novel A Christmas Carol, not only because of the holiday theming, but because of the main role that ghosts take in the novel. Christmas had been on the brink of extinction due to the zeal of the Puritans, and many people credit Dickens and A Christmas Carol along with several other works by different authors for saving Christmas. A Christmas Carol reminded people of traditions that had been important to them in the past. Included in this was the tradition during the Victorian era of telling ghost stories during the Christmas season. Hence why we are going to be doing that on Christmas Eve, and that is also going to be a main part of our Christmas special. Oliver Cromwell was the real culprit here, especially over in Europe, with wanting to get rid of Christmas. Because as far as he was concerned, Christmas was not a holy day because it wasn't talked about in the Bible. And most of us that understand the timing and everything in the Bible know that Christmas is not when Jesus Christ was actually born. That this was something that early Christians had used to try to bring in the pagans to the religion. And since Oliver Cromwell knew that and the Puritans knew that and they are Puritans, they want to keep pure, they didn't want to bring that kind of stuff into their celebrations. So really at the time that Charles Dickens was writing this novel, It was during the Industrial Revolution, and people didn't take Christmas Day off. They didn't celebrate Christmas and do a whole lot of traditional stuff. It just was another day to them. Kind of sad when you think about it, because really, although Christmas is religious in nature, it's also just a regular holiday, too. Well, just the goodwill towards people and just the celebratory feeling that people have during this time of year, too. So Charles Dickens really should be credited with saving two things. He saved Christmas and he saved not only ghost stories, 
but telling those ghost stories at Christmas time. Exactly. Now, on our Christmas special, we did have Dan Foytik in studio with us, and we're going to talk a little bit more about where the origins of telling ghost stories during the Christmas season came from. Generally speaking, a lot of people assume it's the Victorian era because that's when it really got popular. But as we walked it back and walked it back, we discovered that this goes back centuries And so we'll discuss that a little bit more on the Christmas special and maybe even flesh out a little bit more about the other authors other than just Charles Dickens who were sharing ghost stories at this time. Dickens at this time also was editing journals that specialized in ghost stories. And while he didn't profess to believe in ghosts necessarily, he knew that people were very keen on them. So he was smart that way. Well, and and just the fact that he was interested in publishing them because people were keen on them without believing. I mean, many, many of our own listeners are open-minded skeptics themselves, so including us. So it is kind of the same thing as history goes bump. And what I think is interesting is generally you would have had a rip-roaring fire on Christmas Eve because it would have been cold and that was the way you heated your home. And so that's where the family would have naturally gathered to tell these stories. So is that a carryover into us telling scary ghost stories at a campfire? Very much so. I'm wondering if that's where that originated, is taking it out of the parlor or the family room or the main gathering room and putting it outside where the fire was. Yeah, because there's an element with the fire crackling and popping and doing all the stuff that just kind of adds to the ambiance of And you're surrounded by darkness because you would have turned out all the lights in the house. And so it would have just been dark. And so... Every little creak. And then, like you said, pop of the crackling of the fire would have made everybody jump. So it definitely makes sense that Dickens used ghosts in this story of redemption at Christmas time. First up was Jacob Marley. And this is the only spirit that we know to be that from a human. Marley was Scrooge's former partner, and he'd been dead for seven years. He makes a visitation to warn Scrooge that being a jerk will lead him to a tough afterlife. Marley is shrouded in chains and padlocks. And we are told he is transparent. So we have your garden variety ghost here, recognizable and immaterial. The mood of the novel is perfect for ghosts. The fog is dense to the point that the houses across the street are referred to as phantoms. When Marley leaves, Scrooge looks outside to see if he can see where he has gone, and Scrooge thinks the air appears to be filled with phantoms. He recognizes many of them. The vision seems very personal for him, And it makes us wonder if this is what hell really is. The bells are chiming and you hear these crinkling of chains. And it makes you wonder if this is where some of the visuals we get of ghosts is coming from. Because when you talk about ghosts, it coincides with the rattling of chains. Where would you have ever gotten that idea from? Why would a ghost be wrapped in chains? Or had Charles Dickens possibly had an experience that he never talked about, but he told it through stories. So he had that experience and that was what he really had before he wrote Christmas Carol. Could be. And this also takes us back to our Krampus episode because Krampus comes with chains binding him or hanging from him. And this is the way that the church interpreted being bound to hell. So I'm wondering if this image of the chains is really the image the church has put forward for being bound to hell. It's interesting too that Jacob Marley has been dead for seven years and it's just now that he's making this appearance. So was he not allowed to make the appearance until now? Was there a reason why he was allowed to make it at this time? 
And that's what makes us wonder when people do see a human spirit, because you and I have discussed when it's a human spirit, is this God allowing that person to have a last goodbye when they appear in the future and they're bringing maybe encouragement or it could be a warning? Is that another time where God is allowing that veil to drop? Of course, if you believe along the lines that we do, other people would have other beliefs. But for us to fit it into our how we look at this. It makes you wonder, is this like he said, okay, we need to get Scrooge squared away here? Or did Jacob Marley see what was going along? Does this indicate that maybe ghosts can see into our lives and see what's going on? Because Jacob Marley seems to be very well aware that Scrooge is carrying on the bad practices that they'd both done when they were partners. Or it could be that it didn't maybe take him seven years to appear, but took Scrooge seven years to actually be able to see him. That's interesting, too. And was Scrooge close to death at this point? And so it was like, you know, we got to get this taken care of because he's going to be dead soon. Yep. Who knows? But I thought it's very interesting that we get some of our ideas about ghosts here where there's the transparent and that it's somebody who is recognizable. Then we have our first ghost because Jacob Marley tells them you're going to be visited by three other spirits. Have fun (laughs) before the night is done, before the clock strikes midnight. So our first one is the ghost of Christmas past. It's a spirit that seems to be made for this specific purpose and carries an androgynous appearance, which some people, if you haven't read the novel, may not be aware of because generally when you watch a movie or see the play, it's a a woman, it's a person. And so you wouldn't know that this is like an androgynous character. It's always referred to as kind of an it in the book, and it seems to change the appearance as well. It wears a white robe, seems to be material so that it can be touched And it's not transparent, or at least we're not told that it is. And it can change its appearance in various ways. It looks like a candle a little bit. It has one arm here, then multiple arms and multiple legs, and then just one leg. And it's interesting what Scrooge sees and then doesn't see. Also, we're going to have a lot of interesting supernatural powers that are going to crop up here. It has the power to fly and to fly Scrooge around with it as it's going back into the past, and it replays his past form. So we have something here that is truly supernatural, something that I think is kind of similar to a time slip. If you're going back into the past, aren't you traveling in time? Because it's not exactly like he's just showing him a vision, like you're taking a picture book and saying, here's your life. He's actually taking him back to the scenes, and he's watching those scenes replay themselves. So to me, it's a time slip. And we've surmised that this is a possible reason for people to have had ghost experiences. It's just like when you see that ghost that's from the past and they kind of give you a shocked look, are they just as shocked to see you or are they seeing you in your in your more modern day clothing? Right. Wondering what in the heck got the poor ghost who did time slips during the 80s, like we've said. They'll be like, what are those pants? <laughs> what is that hair? <laughs> they wonder what like uh, Aquanet is. It's like, look at that crazy hair. The ghost of Aquanet. Scrooge extinguishes the ghost in anger and he finds himself back in his bedroom and no time has passed. Again, this is why I think it's almost like a time slip because he's experiencing some sort of time as he's watching the past play out. And yet in the present, no time is passing. Right. It's just He's just still right there. And then we have the ghost of Christmas present, which is quite human in appearance, but it's large. It's like a giant, giant size. And he reveals that he can change his size to whatever he wants. He comes with a great feast and wears green robes. I wonder what the green robe is about. I am not sure. I'm wondering if it's to... Well, you know what I'm having a vision of here is that when we see Father Christmas in the UK pavilion at Epcot, he wears a green robe. 
So I don't know if it's something along the lines of what their St. Nicholas would have been wearing, because the Santa with the red stuff is mostly a Coca-Cola creation because their colors were red and white. So I'm wondering if it's something along the lines of looking a little bit like a St. Nicholas. Now, instead of having the white curly hair, he has brown curly hair. Yeah, so. And why he comes with food, I have no idea. But you know, it's almost midnight. You want a midnight snack. Yeah, I'm sure that's why he brought the food. (laughs) (laughs) This ghost is also able to transport Scrooge around the city and shows him how people are observing Christmas and warns him using the images of two children named Ignorance and Want. He disappears at the stroke of midnight just as the final ghost comes into the scene. So he spends more time actual physical time with Scrooge. And time does seem to pass while they're doing Mm -hmm. that. Although what's interesting is that since this is called the ghost of Christmas present, we're at night. But he's seeing how people are going to celebrate Christmas, which is the next day. So, you know, I don't want to say anything about the way Charles Dickens put it, but he wasn't quite the ghost of Christmas present because if it really was present, he'd probably be watching people sleep around the city because it was the middle of the night. That's true. So he was kind of seeing what was going to happen in the future as well, if you want to be literal. But if he hadn't gone to bed yet, it hadn't really ended the day. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure little tiny Tim was up at midnight. (laughs) Didn't you ever try to stay up and see Santa? I'd have to say no. I did stay up listening to hear the presents and stuff that were probably being put under the tree. See, I was raised to never believe in Santa Claus, so... Because my mom was so disappointed that he wasn't real that she never let us believe in him. Diane, watch what you say on air. You just said Santa's not real. Well, my mom didn't believe he was real. Oh. Uh, Yeah. So she was really disappointed that uh, some people thought the same thing and told her that. Did I cover? Actually, we do have to tell a little story here. And hopefully this is going to be a warning that all children should maybe leave the room if they're listening. But anyway, they go back to Missouri. Diane's family did when they were little. And her sister almost caused like, I don't know, like complete chaos chaos on Christmas Eve because she told, because they knew the real story of St. Nicholas. And so she told all the little cousins that Santa had died. Yeah, so my sister's telling our cousins that Santa is dead. You can only imagine on Christmas Eve the chaos that ensued. Yay, Christy! (laughs) So my mom had some splaining to do. (laughs) They had to walk a lot of that back because my uncle would go all out. He would get up on the roof and stomp around and it would sound like the reindeer were up there. Didn't he even leave tracks and stuff? Oh, he did. Oh, gosh, (laughs) yes. It It was great fun. So, yeah. So my mom made sure to pull us aside and say, now... There's some kids who don't necessarily believe the same way. So, you know, <laughs> leave it to Christy. too. Yes, indeed. We love her. Now, this next ghost, the final one that's coming on the scene is terrifying. He still to this day freaks me out. Anytime you watch it, it is just scary. I will remember this from the time I was a child and first saw the Christmas Carol. This is the ghost that you remember. Yeah, the hand. It's just so creepy. And to us, I would say he appears to be a demon. It's basically a skeleton that's in a cloak. Well, and it's basically what you usually done on Halloween to scare children. So it's very, very scary. Yeah. He rides in on this fog that's already been used in the novella to set up the theming here to make it creepy and gloomy. He materializes as a faceless entity that's just draped in this robe. And like you said, all we basically see is a finger pointing. He says nothing, which makes him even more ominous. This entity gives a future premonition of Scrooge's death. It brings gloom and doom with it. It would almost seem that Scrooge was asleep. So did this ghost actually visit in the dream state? We hear similar stories about sleep paralysis. These experiences are terrifying as well. 
And the reason why we feel that this might have been something that was more of in the dream state rather than him actually physically going to his future death is that the ghost disappears and Scrooge awakens. So it's not like he is brought back to his room or anything. He just, it's like he was asleep and wakes up. Right. There's no, he comes back to his room, falls asleep, and then wakes up when it's morning. He just wakes up. So it makes you wonder, was this a dream that the spirit has come to him in? Which, again, is another one of our modern day experiences that people claim to have is you'll listen to a lot of these real ghost stories on these different podcasts. And I would say a fourth of them are people who are basically telling their dreams and they've experienced something that they think is kind of a supernatural or a ghost experience, yet it happened in the dream state. Right. This final experience is scary enough to change Scrooge. So that's how terrifying this demonic entity really is. Changes him completely. The use of ghosts not only is creative and perfect for the Christmas season, but it gave Dickens the ability to do anything supernatural that he wanted to with this novella. Time is very interesting in A Christmas Carol. The ghosts explain that they have allotted times and they transverse time. We hear bells chime the time. We come to believe that anything is possible with the supernatural. Dickens really ushered in a new genre and helped solidify the idea that short stories and novellas are perfect for ghost stories. So, do you believe that ghosts can visit us and change the course of our lives? That is for you to decide. So, very interesting. We'd love to hear your guys' opinions on the different theories and also your feelings on A Christmas Carol. Is it a is it a novel that you've read? Have you enjoyed it? Do you enjoy the plays? Has it gotten tired and old since, you know, I don't know how many different varieties and versions I've seen, but it, it never gets old to me. Especially not Tiny Tim. No, he's so sweet. What is, what's the line that he says? God bless us, everyone. And Tiny Tim actually says, and God bless us, everyone. Well, we hope that you all have a very Merry Christmas. On Christmas Eve, we will be posting the History Ghost Bump Christmas special number two, our second annual. And I'm not sure what time we'll do it that day. I'll probably put it up pretty early so that for those of you who are working that day, you'll have something to listen to while you're working. And then join us that evening. Blab.im is where we will be hosting our ghost stories around the campfire from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time if you want to join us. You can already register at blab.im and also I've already set up the episode so you can subscribe to it and I'm, I think it'll send you a message or something. We will be live streaming it from our website, historyghostbump.com. It will be right there at the top. Like when you get down to what the main page area is where we post the podcast, it'll be at the very top of all of that. So you can watch the live streaming there. We also will post the links up on Facebook and Twitter and I'll send it out in the newsletter as well. And just um, if you are wanting to make comments live while we are streaming, you do have to join Blab. You can't. The other things you can come listen without joining Blab. But if you actually want to make comments, just make sure you do that ahead of time so not in the middle of going, how do I make comments? So just so that those of you know. And as I've already discovered, you can be making comments on it right now if you want to, because Heather came over there and was like, I was resisting joining Twitter and now I had to. <laughs> Sorry, Heather. Boy, is she having some fun. Heather works for the United States Postal Service, so she's been having a great week. <laughs> yeah, it's... A- kind of busy i've heard yeah just slightly all right well we are so glad that you guys joined us for this one i have been your host diane and this has been denise you take care now bye-bye executive producers of this episode have been melissa katie levi dan janice Stephen, heather dave and ann amy tanya nicole and your mug is in the mail so enjoy that liana jade april laura seth tracy josh barbara 
Laura, Ashley, Griffin, Roger, David, Wendy, Sharon, and welcome to our new executive producer, Jen Bidwell. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Ninth Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. 